When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. You have to talk about it all. You can't sugarcoat. You can't just make it seem like everything's all good because it's not. You know, you got to have to cover it the way you cover uh, the NFL or college men's basketball. I'm definitely excited and happy and a fan and, and advocate of having uh, more transparent talks and, and the difficult conversations around women's basketball. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Hey, 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 welcome into the Her Hoop Stats podcast for another week. Thank you so much for being with us, and thank you for making an appointment every week to stop by the show, and maybe even twice a week, uh, to catch whether it be the Unplugged podcast, doing some great work there. Man, we have some people passionate about college basketball, uh, or this uh, little show as well, where we do more of the interview type work. Uh, Again, I'm your host, John Little. Great to have you here, and I've been chasing today's guest for quite a while. We've been hoping to have LaChina Robinson on for a while here on the show because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to collaborate. You're supposed to cross over, right? Uh, top podcasts are supposed to talk to other top podcasts. Well, we hope to be where LaChina's is someday with the Around the Rim podcast. She just does excellent work with her cohorts. They They talk about what's going on in the game. They've got a great pulse on it. 
And LaChina is such a hard worker in this industry. She's in the sports media industry. She does uh, color analyst work uh, for so many different organizations, whether it be the ACC Network or whether it be ESPN. And, of course, she's done it along the way for the Atlanta Dream in the past as well. And that doesn't even really begin to sum up her career. But she's another top voice in this space. There's no doubt about it. And we really appreciate her time today. Here's our chat with LaChina Robinson. John, thank you so much for having me. It's my honor. Your podcast is definitely the first one I got hooked to when uh, I started looking for podcasts about women's basketball. And so I just wanted to compliment you uh, right off the bat for that. Why do you think you guys are so successful? Because it's not just, uh, you know, interviews and it's not just, um, you know, people spouting off uh, their opinions. Uh, why do you think you three, Tarika Devereaux, and yourself, why do you think you've formed such a such a great group that people want to listen to? Well, first of all, John, thank you for that. I really appreciate those kind words. You know, it has um, been an honor and a pleasure for us to, to be the premier women's basketball podcast for um, ESPN. And I used to listen to a podcast called Shoot Around with Beth and Debbie <laughs> that uh, really caught my attention to what the podcast space could be. And also just the different ways that you could shine light on women's basketball. And that's really what we started this podcast to do. And we remember watching games and saying, you know, the game goes off and then there's not conversation necessarily about the game that just went off or there's a hot topic in women's basketball and you don't hear about it, you know, every day or in the news or on your phone, things like that. And so really we wanted to create a space where we could further the conversation um, in, a, in a free space around women's college basketball, the WNBA, but we could also bring on some of our coaches and players of the game to learn more about their journeys, to be educated on what's happening from their aspect of things. So there were a lot of angles as to why we got into it and definitely appreciate your kind words. And we, we feel like we still have a, a long way to go. Well, you bring up the hot topics and I'm curious about that because it seems like uh, we are getting into a space where people are more willing to talk about the hot topics in women's basketball and not treat it with kid gloves, so to speak. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. um, does that do your heart good or does that make you think, oh, man, we got we got to watch ourselves a little bit here and, you know, not turn into, you know, some of the, the screaming type um, <laughs> uh, sports talk yeah. out there. Uh, what's what's the balance there? What's good about that? What uh, what do we have to watch out for? I am excited that, you know, we are having deeper, more transparent conversation around women's basketball. It's something that's much needed. And the only reason why I really think that the sport wasn't transparent enough from a media standpoint is that they just weren't used to that level of coverage where people wanted to probe and wanted um, you know, now we have sound bites and things on social media. I mean, I think social media has really um, grown the conversation around some of the hot topics and some of the more difficult topics for women's basketball. But I, I couldn't be happier that the sport, in my opinion, and sounds like yours too, is just a little more transparent than it used to be. The conversations have to be had. In order to make progress, There, you have to talk about it all. You can't 
sugarcoat. You can't just make it seem like everything's all good because it's not. You know, you got to have to cover it the way you cover uh, the NFL or college men's basketball or, you know, so um, I, I'm definitely excited and happy and a fan and, and advocate of having uh, more transparent talks and, and the difficult conversations around women's basketball. Do you find that it's sometimes difficult to ask those questions or, or get uh, honest answers out of those newsmakers that are in those controversial topics at the time? Or do you think that in general that, um, you know, I, I know they're I'm not talking about anything specifically at all. Uh, but do you think that women's basketball and those newsmakers are used to being put on the spot a little bit and, and being asked to expand on these controversial topics? It really depends on who it is. You know, personalities are different. And just like you and I are different. You know, some people are more trusting, some more skeptical. Some people just don't like to be news, right? Like they just don't, um, they would rather focus on playing and, and not as much on what's happening. You know, I don't know how much over the years, for example, and this is because I'm a Wake Forest grad, but I don't know how much you got out of Tim Duncan as far as controversial statements, but did not really impact who he was as a player. Um, and so I think it just depends. But I, I do believe that social media is creating a medium for players to find their voice. And I think once you find your voice, it's easier to sometimes have the more challenging conversations or answer questions um, because you've kind of had a chance to to figure out your thoughts on different things and maybe to express them. So, um, yeah, it just kind of depends on the person, but I do think I, there's definitely more transparency than there was once was. You're one that likes to, uh, you know, certainly uh, talk about the WNBA and break it down as much as possible, and then the same thing with the college game, which we're getting into the swing of things. But as we're, it feels like we're kind of in the middle. Let's let's wrap up the WNBA season uh, with you just a little bit. Um, uh, first of all, the uh, the the epic championship series going to five. You always want to see that. Um, the the way it all wrapped up, and with the championship for Elena Deladon, with the championship for Washington, uh, where do you think that that helps uh, take things in the WNBA? How did you, as far as this, the, the way things ended up with with the style of play and with the the good games that we had in the playoffs? How do you think that helped things? Well, I think it was encouraging for the other teams in the league to see what happened for the Washington Mystics. I mean, this is a franchise, an organization that has waited a very long time for a championship. And what Mike Tebow did in seven years was should be the blueprint of not only, you know, how to get the right pieces in place, but also player development and even just infusing and um, recharging the energy around a fan base that had gone dead for a while. Um, you know, the fact that it wasn't one of the teams that you're used to hearing around championship conversations, it wasn't in L.A., it wasn't in Seattle, it wasn't, um, you know, a Minnesota. I think other teams are, are probably encouraged by what Washington did, and also fans. You know, there seems to be a different level of depth to the league now, and you go beyond Washington and look at the finals to a very, very, very good Connecticut team, another organization. I mean, there was a time you know, just a few years ago where the East was void of, of depth, you know, and I know there's not technically an Eastern and Western conference anymore, but we were talking about 
the Atlanta Dream and then maybe the New York Liberty winning the regular season. But beyond that, there just wasn't a lot there. Um, and so to see two Eastern Conference teams get all the way to the finals I think it was a good sign of the depth and the health of the league. But um, as far as just the basketball, I mean, I could not have had more fun through the playoffs. And I know you enjoyed it as well, John. I mean, it was just high-level basketball on display. And I know there were some people who, you know, they talk about the ratings and I'm definitely disappointed. But I think if you even look at the ratings right now for NBA, for example, it's just a, it seems like a trend where everyone's ratings are down. Um, which, you know, I'm obviously not happy that the NBA ratings are down, but it, it does hopefully bring some perspective to WNBA fans that it's not that the game is not growing. It's just a trend that we're in right now. So I could not be be happier of what I saw. And then it, it was also really about the new stars. And that's what the theme of the summer was coming in with all the injuries to the perennial all-stars and, you know, our, our reigning MVP at the time, Brianna Stewart, and, uh, you know, Skylar Diggins still working her way back from maternity leave, all those pieces. Um, we found some new names. <laughs> you know, we found a, we find a John Claude Jones. We found a, a Diamond to Shields. We uh, reconnected with Kelsey Plum. Um, so there were just a lot of really, really good storylines amongst the emerging stars in, in the league, which speaks to the future. It really does. And, you know, I know that the league doesn't want to lose any of that momentum. What sense do you get uh, just uh, talking to those that you know, so you're so much more well-connected than I am, but as far as the labor dispute and, and getting everything sewn up before the 2020 season, where do you feel that is? What What's the sense that you get on that? Yeah, I mean, to me, from just my feeling, um, this time right now is about the CBA. You know, I, I think that's where a lot of the energy and focus is in the off season. And with our, the new commissioner, the first time commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, um, officially joining the league in July, there's been excitement, you know, about some of the things she's done even to this point. Um, you know, the, the charter flight during the, during the playoffs and, um, you know, just those moments that you say, okay, this is refreshing, right? Like um, you see the WNBA's willingness to step out there and meet some of the player demands halfway, even before you get to the actual CBA negotiations. But, um, you know, I can't say where the discussions are right now. And, and in fact, I, I, I wish I had more intel for you than I do, but um it's a it's a major major moment for the WNBA, one that I believe how these CBA talks go could could impact the future of the league, um, and I, I'm just hoping that you know under the leadership of Kathy Engelbert on the WNBA side, and then you know Neka Gumake and 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 the committee and the board that's been structured under the Players Association, Terry Jackson that, um, you know, they're making progress because it's important to get some agreement around the collective bargaining agreement um, sooner rather than later so that things can be put in motion for next year and the momentum that is coming off of this season continues. 
yeah, I think momentum is definitely the the word that comes to mind for me. There, there's no doubt about that, and you don't want any of that lost by any sort of prolonged uh, labor issue. We're visiting with LaChina Robinson, of course, great analyst of basketball and host of the Around the Rim podcast. And I want to talk about your broadcast career and, and the origins of it. Um, tell us a story about how you first got involved and how you um, found that you really loved analyzing basketball. Yeah, thank you for that question, John. It definitely wasn't on my radar. I did not start my career post-basketball in college thinking about being an analyst. I actually wanted to be an athletics director. And um, after working at Georgia Tech for several years, I called a game on radio for the team just on a whim and decided to make a career change. And it was the right one for me because I love talking the game. It's just a natural talker. And, you know, I just like breaking down the X and O's of the game. I love walking into practice or gym and getting to know players and watching strategy from some of our great coaches. So that's kind of how it started. And, uh, you know, 11 years later it is. I mean, I, I could not be happier with how things have gone in my career I wake up every day and get to watch basketball games for a living. You know, I get to work alongside and be colleagues with people like Rebecca Lobo and Carolyn Peck and Holly Rowe and, um, you know, Debbie Antonelli, Pam Ward. I mean, it's really an outstanding group of people that love the game. And um, even more so with my responsibilities this year with the ACC Network, you know, having played in the league, it's, it's truly home for me, you know, um, playing at Wake Forest and um, getting a degree there. And so back in the footprint um, of schools that I traveled to as a player, and it's just been so nostalgic and so fun to, to focus my energies there and, um, you know, hopefully continue to add to the what I call tradition of excellence that exists in the ACC. Absolutely. And um, I, I, I'm curious to hear who – were some of your biggest influences as you got involved? Who were who were the people that kind of helped you along early on as and, and kind of helped you find your footing and, and, and figure out what the, the broadcasting thing was all about? First person to sit down with me was Carolyn Peck. I remember, you know, I got assigned to my first game and I called Carolyn and she literally came to Atlanta, sat down with me, showed me her board and gave me all of her secrets pretty much to how the broadcasting thing works. But, you know, sometimes you hear about that crabs in the barrel mentality, especially in this business of broadcasting where it's so competitive. And I've never had that experience. Like everyone I've ever reached out to, whether it's even as high as a Doris Burke. I mean, I have to call Doris every once in a while so she can set me straight. <laughs> you know, she's just... That's who she is. Um, but everyone I've ever asked for insight or help or picked up the phone to reach out to has been more than willing. And that has made this journey even more fun, rewarding. It's just how we can all work together to make the sport better. Where are you most proud of yourself as far as your development as a broadcaster? Where do you think that you've gotten better over the last uh, however many years it's been, uh, you know, 12 years or, or whatever it was since you've uh, really started to get into it? No doubt just my overall understanding of the game. You know, I played in the post, and we all we used to joke that, you know, post players have no idea what's going on around them. They just run to the block and ask for the ball. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> I had to, I've watched a, a lot of films. You know, I, I remember one of my first games, first few games in television, first year, I'd say, 
I had a conversation with Paul Hewitt, who at the time was a was a coach at Georgia Tech, and he said to me, you know, how long does it take you to prep? And I, you know, I was like, oh, about 48 hours. He was like, oh, okay, so you get your prep done in two days. I was like, no, 48 hours. Like, I need 48 whole hours to prepare for a game. So, I, I mean, it would take me forever to break down film, to figure out what defense this team is in. I mean, I, I really struggled. So a lot of my early commentary around basketball was connected to my major, which is sociology. Like, I love people. So I used to be very story-driven early on. And that, that came in handy when the basketball wasn't as good. But when you start to call basketball at higher levels, whether it's the NCAA tournament or um, the WNBA playoffs, then you really have to understand adjustments and changes in defenses and why things are working. I mean, you have to be able to answer the question, why, why, why? And <clears throat> it's taken me a long time to to get more comfortable, and I still have a, a long ways to go. But I am very, very proud of how I can break down the X's and O's of the games now versus when I first started. You know, that's really interesting because whether it's a former player or a former coach getting into broadcasting, it seems like it's more normally kind of the other way around. Like they, they see everything and and they've got so much knowledge, but they have a tough time putting it into words or putting it succinctly but it sounds like the actual talking and the actual and I, I think you're a really good interviewer as well. And that's probably where the sociology background comes in. Um, well, you know, it's kind of it's kind of the other way around for you, isn't it? That uh, that that you kind of had that foundation of being a very affable and, you know, outspoken in, in person. But then you had to add the layer, the, the depth of knowledge as well. That seems to be um, it, kind of the, the opposite way it normally goes in this thing. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I can tell you there are some point guards because I always say they know the game the best. Um, like a Kara Lawson, for example, that, you know, she played the game reading defenses and, um, you know, basically being an extension of a coach on the floor. Um and and not necessarily Carol Lawson per se, but most point guards have that knowledge. But then when they sit in the analyst seat or when they sit, you know, get in the television, it's like, okay, now how do I say this to everyone else? You know, like what I see. Uh, so you're right. It's, it's usually very much in reverse. But for me, it's, it's, it's been the other way. That is so cool to know. Well, let's get into the college basketball season. Um, what are you excited about? First of all, let's let's concentrate on the ACC. What what storylines really stick out to you this year? Yeah, to me, um, the storyline or the headline for the ACC is just how wide open it is. Uh, Notre Dame has really dominated since joining the league, and you know what they've been able to do the past few years just on a national scene. But after graduating their entire starting five to the WNBA and all of them even being drafted and placed on teams, Muffin McGraw will be looking for some new answers. And we don't know if that will come in the form of, of transfers, you know, it, whether it's Destiny Walker or uh, Marta Sneezik, or will it come in, in terms of player development, you know, for some of their freshmen or, um, you know, returning players like a, a Caitlin Gilbert. So, that's one storyline for sure. The other, very related, because I think both teams are relying on the progression of transfers, is the Louisville Cardinals. You know, I, I did not expect that Louisville would be the favorite in the ACC after losing Asia Durr, you know, a, a two-time ACC Player of the Year, or Erica Carter, or, um, you know, just 
the pieces that took them to the Elite Eight last year that had given them their most successful uh, senior class in, in history. Um, and so the fact that they were able to get two transfers eligible, Elizabeth Dixon and Elizabeth Balgoon, was huge. You know, two kids that came from Georgia Tech, Elizabeth Balgoon, for example, was last year's ACC freshman of the year. So that is huge that they could get those kids eligible and now have, and, you know, to this point, they've started in the starting lineup. Now, there's work to do in terms of getting them ready for what the expectation is at Louisville. So I don't know that things will gel for them right away. But um, to for them to get back after losing, you know, the Sam Furings and um, basically all their stability from last year is, is phenomenal. It just speaks for the type of coach Jeff Walls is and the expectation that there are for his, for his team. Now, not to be left out of this, is NC State, and I think Wes Moore often gets overlooked. He could very easily win the league this year depending on how um, the injury bug impacts them or not, hopefully. Uh, You know, they have dealt with injuries across the board on their roster last year, in particular losing Grace Hunter and, you know, just some of their key pieces. But, you know, they still have Aislinn Koenig, they still have Elisa Kunain, who I think could very well be ACC Player of the Year as a sophomore. Uh, they've got some good pieces. They've got some really good pieces. They've gotten players back from injury. So um, that's a team that should not be overlooked. And then the state of Florida has a ton of talent between Miami and Florida State. You know about Beatrice Montpremier, projected to be a top five WNBA draft pick. They've got a junior class of guards that are poised to be the type of upperclassmen leaders that they need. Uh, Sue Samurao, tremendous team. Nikki Kamu, um, Kai Gillespie. So it's going to be a, a fun race, and it's going to be one where we really don't know what's going to happen in the ACC, but I'm just looking forward to some great basketball. Yeah, what a fun league you get to cover. That is, that is just awesome. Um, I, I want to go out west with you for a moment and get your reaction to the Oregon team. We've we've said so much about you know Sabrina here, but the excitement surrounding the fact that in the exhibition they were able to beat uh, the the USA uh, women's basketball team uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I hadn't quite heard your thoughts on that yet. Does that mean that? Oregon has a chance of being one of those teams that is uh, kind of a transcendent team, a team that we that we remember for a long, long time? Or was it just one of those nights? I mean, what do you take out of all that? I was definitely surprised. And I am not one that's quick to minimize that because I just feel like there's something so powerful um, for a college team to be able to say that they beat Team USA. <laughs> you know, that's a moment that they will never forget in their program, for their fans, for the players on that floor. Um, and while I understand all of the other factors for USA basketball with travel and limited practice time, uh, those are still the best players in the world, you know, and they're missing some, um, you know, would, would some would say the top tier USA basketball players, but I even consider our second and third tier uh, U.S. national team to be the best. 
that's just my opinion. And so I, I don't minimize that. I think that was a huge moment for Oregon. And it is a program that I think there'll be a blueprint. There'll be an example to other programs on, on how to build excitement. Now, not everyone's going to have a Sabrina Ionescu. Uh, you know, her history speaks for itself. So um, that part you may have to find on your own. But just the, their pro style, the way they play the game, the way Kelly Graves runs his program, um, you know, Oregon is, is in great position to have a brand ambassador like Nike. Uh, there's just so many magical things about what happens in Eugene. And I, I said this on a podcast actually earlier today that, while the headliner will definitely be Sabrina Ionescu, Satu Sabli is, I believe, going to have some say in the Player of the Year award at the end of the season. Um, it, it, I've been to so many of their practices. You know, I had Oregon for two years straight in the first and second rounds and regional in the NCAA tournament. So I've spent a ton of time around their team, and they're just fun. They have a lot of fun, great family environment. Um, and so they're a program that, again, I, I just think this is not going to be a flash in the pan. Um, even after Sabrina leaves, Kelly recruited an outstanding class, uh, recruiting class that will be there next season. And I, I think Oregon's poised to be amongst the top teams in the, in the country for a very long time and, and definitely the favorite for this year. It certainly seems that way, and it kind of brings me as a way to to wrap things up. I'd love to get your ideas on on how to take, like you said, uh, building the program and the excitement at Oregon, and you think of the the fan bases at Notre Dame and Louisville and and Baylor and places like that where people are just so psyched for women's basketball every year. How do we take those fans and then? turn them after April into WNBA fans every year, especially with, you know, as accessible as the WNBA is, uh, you know, whether it be with the app where you can watch every game, um, you know, the increased social media presence. What's the key here? What's your grand blueprint for making this happen? Well, I'm just a big fan of cross promotion and cross marketing. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm the kind of person where even though the WNBA schedule has not dropped yet, there, there's, I would love to go to college games and see WNBA promotions and see people talking about how they can pre-order WNBA tickets and to watch games and see things about WNBA players, you know, that are just infused into what we're doing on, on the college space. Uh, that is a part of it. Now, I understand that a lot of the college fans are – cheering for their university, right? So when it changes over to summer, they're not necessarily women's basketball fans, but I think they could be. And there's something powerful about tapping into potential audience. And you may have come to watch someone who's an alumni of your school, but you may see another player that you like, or you may see a team that you want to start cheering for. But I just don't see enough WNBA throughout college season. And I, I get it that most of the players are out of market. I understand all of that. But I still think there's a way, there's a strategy if the NCAA and WNBA offices sat down for them to use the pieces and the people that they do have to create a presence uh, at, on the college side. Because here's what I will say. While I love college basketball, it's so exciting. I mean, for, for, for various reasons. I mean, our players on the women's side, they – they stay for four years. You watch them develop. 
you learn new players every year. There's a different schedule. You know, it's just there's so many things. There's so much excitement on the college side. But as far as the product, you're not going to find a better product in women's basketball than the WNBA. The way they play the game, how athletic they are, the speed of the game. So is there a way that we can bring that to college fans, that we can connect them even prior to getting to the summer, getting them to either commit to come to a game or some type of incentive to just get them to the, a game. We can get them to a game. No doubt they're going to love it. And I believe not only will they love it, but they'll commit to it to some level. And that's what we need is for fans to move from being casual observers or, you know, maybe attending a game here and there to season ticket sales going up to committed fans at special events. That's kind of the next step. But those are just some of my ideas. There's so many things we can do, but a couple things that I think about when it comes to connecting the college and WNBA game. Well, LaChina, can't thank you enough for coming on the show this week. Uh, You just have a way of speaking about the game, every facet of it, where people sit up and listen. So uh, for the last 30 minutes, I know I've enjoyed it. I know everybody else is going to as well. Thank you so much for your time. John, thank you for your time, and thanks her who stats for for everything that you guys do for the game. It's awesome, and I appreciate you as well. There she is, the great LaChina Robinson. Man, you just wind her up. You let her go. That's why we wanted to have her on, because I know she has so much to say, so many great opinions, and they just come out of her like water. It's unbelievable. China. thank you so much for your time, and, and thank you for tuning in to the Her Hoop Stats podcast for another week. We'll be back next week with another interview show, and uh, who knows when we're going to have another Unplugged podcast, so just keep subscribing, keep tuning in. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, uh, wherever it is, your favorite place. We're going to be there. Rate and review us as well if you're on Apple Podcasts. I think we're almost up to like uh, 30 ratings right now, which I'm really excited about. Now, I know our numbers say there are uh, thousands and thousands more of you that want to uh, rate and review as well. So I'd appreciate that if you have the time. And of course, you can always reach out to us at podcast at herhoopstats.com. That's our email, podcast at herhoopstats.com. Big thanks to everybody involved in the show. Our announcer, Susie Solis. Aaron Varzalai is our executive producer. Our music by Jared Deck. Check him out, jareddeckmusic.com. And I'm your host, John Little, reminding you that at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we're unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. Her Hoop Stats.